and welcome to Commagers. I'm Brian Costello. I'm Jim DeSanto. And I'm Jim Dandy. <laughs> okay. Just, you have, and our guest. You have, da- you have days <laughs> we have to come three up with this. Gyms. No, I never think of it until the moment. <laughs> yeah, that was not your best. <laughs> no. Sorry. <clears throat> Go ahead. We have a guest. Yeah. Who's, is yeah. somebody going to introduce him? Tonight, oh. we are joined by the famous, the infamous James Costanzo. Uh-huh. Former co-worker, current friend, and screenwriter. Teacher by day, screenwriter by night. He does it all. Mm-hmm. whole bunch of things, I guess. Yeah, yeah this is right. Former <laughs> production <laughs> assistant on re- some reality shows uh, that we a bunch, of, a bunch of random things yeah. on the West Coast. Amazing race. So you can yes. you can you can uh, <laughs> fact check our reality episode and give yes. it. Yes, tell us something about the world of working on reality TV. No, I mean, well, listen, I, what you guys were, were pretty much saying was was spot on. I think and it, it's usually pretty transparent now how. You know, these shows kind of build their stuff up and, and you know, with the, with the Amazing Race, you kind of tell right from the start. I mean, that's like a game show uh, more than a reality show. They would call themselves a game show. And part of the race part of it is somewhat legit. Like, you know, one of my first jobs on there was like I had to keep track of uh, when the audience was uh, or when the contestants were like leaving. They had to run from the, the Santa Monica Pier, jump in these uh, these really nice Mercedes cars and drive to uh, the airport. And a bunch of us had to keep track of where they were and like who was reaching there first. So that part wasn't fabricated, but a lot of the um, you know, they always try to like play up a lot of the emotional stories and the dramatic scenes and stuff. A lot of those were very much kind of made up on the spot or mm. kind of after the fact. I remember there was one on the first episode uh, in, in the season that I worked on was uh, something how when they were when they were racing, like one of the the contestants like tripped and fell and got a big gash on her leg, and like some of the crew like touched it up right there but the producer was like you know what no 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 we we need to go bigger we can't just have like somebody rush in and just like patch it up we need to imagine that like you went to the hospital and that was part of like you're on the clock so they staged this whole like hospital scene and stuff where they had to get rushed in so even though like the actual fall and cut was legit how the uh, the producers dealt with it was completely fabricated you know and that like went in there on the, the first episode so was that charla that, charla charla do. is the only contestant i remember from the amazing race <laughs> she was great yeah, i've forgotten every single one of them actually so yes yeah. i don't know well, i love that show though that was yeah. my favorite reality show yeah i don't think anyone would be surprised time. to know that like the reactions oh, God, to no. things and yeah that would yeah you know yeah, I mean, they would do things like for practical reasons. Like, like one of the things I had to do is like, I had to get in the the day before. Um, I had to get in the Mercedes, one of the Mercedes cars, and pretend like I was one of the contestants driving, and I had a camera truck behind me, following me, right? Mm-hmm. And we were on walkie-talkies, and they were just like, "Hey, you know, you're on the four or five, just like." act like you're cutting this guy off like you're in a, in a big rush you know so like I, and, and you know i'm just like okay whatever i'm not like a trained driver like that's how chaotic these guys are they're just like jump in this car and do it and, so and you've kind would, of been a trouble. stunt you've kind of been a stunt yeah. driver yeah i mean yeah. that's basically yeah. that's basically what you I was, could have done the driving on baby driver oh my yeah. gosh oh yeah that's it have you seen that's baby it. driver oh i have of course incredible God, so good. incredible oh, so yeah. good yeah <laughs> awesome it's great um we we How? we forgot to talk about what we're drinking tonight. Oh yeah. Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. What is We've got a, we got a hit. Pause. I'm having uh, four roses, their newest bourbon. Ooh. Um, it is called Small Batch Select, not to be confused with the normal Small Batch. Um, while that is good, this is a whole nother level. And if you can find it, go get it. Where did you get it? Now this is a this is a good this story. This is a story. So my company, um started to have virtual happy hours with each other um and our the owner of the company decided he wanted everyone to have a beverage of their choice so if if that was alcohol if that was you know root beer or you know sparkling water you could the company was going to send it to you so i got to act as the alcohol santa claus and order alcohol for everybody in the company yeah, and oh, get it wow. delivered to their house. So pretty awesome, right? Um, this ties in also to the fact that we only last week discovered that Jim's mom has thought he's been working for a furniture company for yeah. about two years. <laughs> what? Because apparently the Facebook. link he put on Facebook was for the wrong 
there's there's a <laughs> the different Kennedy and Company. And so when the quarantine started, she was like, "Is does Jim still have a job? Like, is he okay?" Like, she was really worried about us. I was oh like, "Yeah, God. he works in a field that's like he's always like he's home working all the time online." <laughs> and she's like, "But we're, but furniture? Like, who's buying furniture right now?" I was like, "Jim does not sell furniture." No, I don't. <laughs> thank God. Brian, Brian's flabbergasted. <laughs> so so Jim and I have already had a few beverages tonight. I have uh, not had a few. I've did. had a single little sip. Oh, please. You had another one of those. No, I had was, some of it. It was a little bit. Oh, please. All did right. you hear anyway. that, by the way? You had I one had of those. Of I had some of it. <laughs> we took a pizza making class tonight. <laughs> the math. Uh, on Facebook. We, 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 learned, oh, we learned how to oh, make wow. pizza, yeah. pizza um, okay. from... Love it. A friend uh, down in Philly, yeah. Anthony Scavuzzo, was doing pizza home, pizza at home. Yeah, and so I made some pizza. We drank some okay. wine and some bourbon. It was great. Oh, cool! Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like a good, night. good time. And Katie's I- drinking Pinot Noir out of a taller jam glass tonight. I was going to say, kind of that mason jar, you were so fucking set on how you were going to measure your it's, drink. Yeah, now you're just like, and now you're just like, this one doesn't have the markings. No, it's no. diamonds. So you've abandoned, you've abandoned I know. that. How many diamonds do I drink tonight? Yeah. How many of these little it diamonds? Is. I have no idea. Hmm. I measure my drinks in parsecs. A lot so far. <laughs> Well, yeah, it could be time, it could be distance, knowledge, drinks. So, is this the no. first episode that we've had where we've all had our hair cut, or what? did we have it cut on Monday? I don't know what you're talking about. Wait, wait today's Monday. What day I'm is not it? sure why this is today's important. Thursday. Um, well, let's it ask feels Jimmy, important. Let's ask Jimmy <laughs> yet, what, yet again what he we is need drinking. to remind Katie that we are on a podcast. I, mean, I got a haircut no a little while ago. Oh, there yeah? you go. Yeah. Did, mm-hmm. did you cut it? No. Okay. No, I, okay. I'm not. I'm. I'm no. Uh, I'm no expert. So, uh, you know, Megan helped out a little bit. Very so. nice. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Trying times. Yeah. Yeah. Jim oh, wouldn't yeah. let me Desperate anywhere measures. near his hair. <laughs> I let him cut mine. I got this. You thing cut Katie's hair, sticking out to the side. I, I did. Yeah. Did and dyed go? it. He cut and dyed it. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. New profession. Yep. Add it to well, the resume. That, now that now that the furniture business isn't going, so <laughs> yeah, now right <laughs> selling couches right now. So, there we go. A lot of skills also can't now. cut any anybody else's hair besides the people in this house. But <laughs> <laughs> okay, Jimmy, what are you drinking? Uh, okay, so I've got guys. Now this is it's Crevassier. All right, I'm a big cognac oh, guy. All right, oh. now it is. Look, it's run of the mill Crevassier. So before you call me fancy pants, you know, it's really not. <laughs> it's not too special. Um, but I am. I am. A, I am a cognac guy. I do like uh, try different ones. You know, I sometimes I step it up a little bit. I um I made the mistake of trying some really good ones, and now oh, yeah. the ruined. bad ones are like ruined for ruined. me. Yeah. yeah. So, like I'm drinking this, and it's it's doing the trick. But uh, you know, I'm, I'm all out of the top shelf stuff right now i can't wait for those stores to reopen jimmy i feel like visiting your house years ago was um a memorable experience for me in like noting like somebody who appreciated fine liquor and had it on display what was the name of that liquor that uh not the harlem Harlem. that was not the fine liquor but uh but no i still remember like your little like bar area it was very grown up like i was expecting the like highlighters in the vodka bottles out of you and this was like very i had just thrown those away yeah Yeah, it was very sophisticated and yeah and i feel like now uh because of you and jim like i i understand and appreciate a a fine liqueur or liquor i think that's like that's cool yeah Yeah. i think that's that's out of a jam jar yeah, I still drink yeah. wine out of a mason jar, but yeah. yeah. I think with like wine, though, wine and, and cognac, it's Jimmy's right. Like, you can get like really crazy expensive stuff, and there's mm. lower end stuff. Like, bourbon is almost like pizza, where like you can get Jim Beam and it's, yeah, still, it's still pretty good. damn good. Oh, absolutely. And yeah. then you can buy a hundred dollar bottle and it's really, really, really good. Good. good, but like. I think with wine specifically, you can I've been get some ruined. Sh- I've been ruined. <laughs> you a can get bit. some yeah. really bad yeah. wine. People have it, have been giving us bottles that, are, and I I just thought like, oh, it's it's quarantine. Anything is drinkable during quarantine. Mm. Yeah. Well, what's that? See this bottle right here, guys. This is probably the best cognac. It's empty, unfortunately, but it's the best cognac I've ever had. It's a, it's like a hundred fifty dollar bottle of cognac. Oh. Right? Hold it directly so, in front of your chest so we can see it. 
Yeah, yeah let's see. there you, you go. There mm-hmm. we go. All right. Uh, commandant. Commandant. Um, it's uh, it's great. Um, but uh, but yeah, uh, Jim, like what you were saying is like, you know, I never thought it was possible. You know, you have that. I had that for a little while, and then it's like you go back to the original. It's like my eyes were opened. I'm like, mm-hmm. oh, it's. I, I'm done. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Oh well. I am drinking ice cold Miller Lite. Oh, I prepared the Miller Lite. <laughs> All day. I put it in the fridge at noon. And Uh then two hours before the episode, I placed them in the freezer. That's a dangerous game. To get the optimal (laughs) um, temperature for the beverage. I don't think I have ever. That's never worked for me. Do you know how many times I have found and been responsible for an exploded beer in the freezer? You forget everything. I know. For days. You'd have to keep it in there for a full like really? days no for it no not that no long. It was just just more than two hours though yeah, a lot I, more than two hours i yes. can't yeah i would not be Let's, responsible enough i to mean do that. this is tied into the issues you've had with cooking this is true <laughs> where something is left on and and yeah jim gets real nervous when he smells things um that are smoky well i've been had to put like, out a fire before <laughs> I literally had to put out a fire on our back deck when the grill was on fire. That's true. Wow. That's true. There was also we, one inside of the kitchen. No. In, so just move right Harry Potter that. experiment yeah, gone got, wrong. Yeah. <laughs> Perhaps we should move on to the topic of the show. Yes. Since we're Sorry. Well listen, this is, the, this is the dynamite content not that people even are hit. looking for. Uh, so tonight, uh, first of all, we're thrilled to have Jimmy here. Thrilled. Last thir- Thursday's episode, so much fun. We talked yeah. reality TV, had some guests, and Jimmy was nice enough to chime in uh, and help us a little bit with his, as we've already touched on, reality show experience. And we thought he is a screenwriter. Uh, so who better to discuss um, one of the major aspects of Hollywood currently, which is adaptations, all right? Taking uh, a book, We'll mainly do books, but I think we'll probably get into other discussions. And and how does that go to screen? Maybe what some of the challenges of that are. And just in general, what's it like to write a movie? Uh, it's one of the things we we, we talk about dialogue occasionally. Uh, we talk sometimes about tone and theme and how th- it's not there. And hopefully talking to Jimmy could give us an idea of what goes into writing a movie and sometimes why do we end up with great things? And sometimes why does it seem like it was constructed by my (laughs) five-year-old, a a little film called Labyrinth. (laughs) Was that that based on a book? No, I, I, there don't, is a book I don't think so. In the movie. No, and so I, I was like, is there a book that I don't know about? Is or there a, a sexually deranged? Well, and Jim was under, he's so like, no, she wrote this story. Sorry, we don't need to talk about Labyrinth anymore. Yeah. But yeah. Okay. Carrying um, on. All right. So why don't we just start out uh, with some recommendations, maybe some movies that we like that were adaptations. And then we can kind of talk about the idea of adaptations and screenwriting and what probably goes into some of these things as we move along. I love it. Uh, let's give the honor uh, of our first recommendation to our guest. Jimmy, what is a, a great example of an adaptation that you really enjoyed? Okay, so um, there's one that immediately comes to mind for me, right? And, you know, when you kind of pose that question initially, I, I was thinking about it in two ways, right? When you talk about, like, a great adaptation, there's like, well, uh, does this mean, like, it became a great movie or it's just, like, adapted well yeah, from, yeah, from yeah, the book, right? Point. Which is, yeah, like, a kind of a difference. different idea. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's, you know, the standard maxim is that, like, well, the book is always better than the movie. I would argue that in at least one case, that's not true. All right. Uh, I'm a big fan of Michael Creighton. And uh, one of my favorite movies of all guys is You're so wrong Jurassic about this. <gasps> God <Okay>. damn it. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, oh, for the viewers at is... home, Jimmy has yes. a Jurassic Park jacket, jacket that yes. he just pulled from the oh. shadows. Oh, oh my gosh. Yes. Oh, my gosh. I'm so um, excited. It's, it's, it's something that's oh, absolutely very treasured. And I mean, <gasps> Jurassic Park, honestly, is one of my very where did that uh, come favorite from? movies of all time. Yes, please do this tell jacket. You want to know where this came from? Um, of course we do. 
I got a, a uh, it was a special gift from uh, Jim and Kitty DeSanto <laughs> one day, <laughs> many, many years ago. Yes. I don't even know who my, this belongs my to. Aunt, like, okay, I have right. no idea how my aunt got that jacket. But every once in a while, she will send us a random box of stuff that she is getting rid of from her house. Mm -hmm. And she's like, these and lots it, of times clothes that have it, never been yeah. worn. It could be the bedroom suite from Chances Are. We yeah. got that oh. once. Yep, fully fully matching. Stuff. It could be a box Dishes. of size nine Timberlands, never worn. All size nine. Yeah, sample shoes. And yep. so we, we we got that jacket, and everyone was like, "No one's gonna actually wear this jacket." But Jimmy I, will love this jacket. I, yep, and Jimmy has worn that jacket. Oh no! Oh, yeah. I have, I have. yeah. <laughs> He can pull it off. True story. Megan uh, almost weekly is telling me to throw it away. She's always trying to find ways to get rid of this thing. Okay. And I'm like, you are not getting rid of my Jurassic Park jacket. I'm hanging on to that. I'm passing it on to my children. And, and, and so okay. in this jacket. For, for, for the listeners, let me describe. This is like a varsity jacket. Like if you were... In if you yeah, were on the Jurassic Park football yeah. team, this is the jacket they would make you. No, this is and no it's definitely from 1993. It's not subtle. By the way. Yeah. It's it's not there's, subtle. <laughs> there's no fucking joke. You can find you can find um, stills, promo stills from the movie yeah. where Steven Spielberg wore that jacket while Maybe he was directing. Maybe that is Steven Spielberg's jacket. Yeah, I don't know how. Knowing she, so, Jim's aunt, it is possible. I'll have to. I'm going to text her right now like and a, say like, "Hey, where did you get that?" Or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, we're going to need no, you to take so a picture of that so that we can share now, that with the actually, world. Actually, there's initials on here. CC. Somebody wrote on here. I don't All know what right. that means. That's, that's hmm. somebody who worked on that show. Yeah. Okay. Right. On that now, that's, now, I have a that question. Was, not because little kid. this goes way back. <laughs> this goes way back uh, to one of our first episodes we did, which was Jurassic Park. Um, I enjoyed Jurassic Park. Jim really did not enjoy Jurassic mm. Park. Um, so, so what about it as an adaptation do you like? Were you a fan of the book? So I had read the book. I was, I think, it was like thirteen years old yeah, when, yeah. when it was coming. And I remember I was always into movies from a very young age, and I knew that Steven Spielberg was working on this thing. And I, you know, while he was working on it, um, I, I read the book. I read the book, and I was really into it. I enjoyed it. It's a great book. But you know, you talk about the difference between like novels and film, and they're like two different. Uh, forms of, you know, two different mediums. So it's like, you know, books scratch a certain itch, but like, you know, when it comes to spectacle, right? Um, movies, in my opinion, like have a lot more of an edge than a book does, right? Like it's, it's like, you know, you can read about the first time the, uh, you know, the, the, the Brachiosaurus kind of walks out in, in frame and, and, you know, Ellie marvels at it or but you can see it on screen especially with the effects you know the way that Spielberg presented them on screen and like you feel it to the core is you know this, I don't know if you guys remember your first experience watching it I mean it's like I still remember sitting in the theater it blew me away you know yeah, like you that. see the characters faces first yeah, yeah yeah and then and then you see it and yeah. like it's so seamlessly integrated in the frame honestly you want i don't know if you guys have seen it recently you watch that now and the effects still hold up which is amazing yeah, they do you know no they do um, it, i think it's listen i love it in fact i got it i bought it for when we did it and the other day i was thinking about doing a rewatch because i myself have my jurassic park t-shirt which whenever i wear out people are amazed at it i've talked about this before like it's like that jacket when it's a Target t-shirt. Mm -hmm. They're like, well, where'd you get that? I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, Target? I'm like, this is not like the jacket, which is right. Yes, I'm like, this yeah. is like not a huge font. I, yeah. Well, here's, here's my question. Is somebody like, so you write screenplays. Mike, I think ultimately my question is this, but you also teach literature. So mm -hmm. you're like, deep. what do you think? With, let's say, Jurassic Park, for example. So David Kopp wrote that. Yes. Mm -hmm. What do you think, as he was sitting down to write that and think about it, what was what was his biggest challenge or maybe the thing he was most excited about with that? Because there were some interesting so, changes, I thought, yes. in it, for the, and, some for the better, some for the worse. But I, what would you if you had that challenge? What do you think he was thinking? What did he yeah, have in mind and, there? And, uh, you know, what? and, and uh, you know, I've read interviews with David Kemp and stuff when he talked about his process. He was actually a very young screenwriter at the time. He was kind of like a Spielberg protege. Spielberg, you know, he'll like zero in on certain guys. He tries to kind of groom with his sensibilities and is like, hey, give this a shot. And I think 
the thing that he said and the thing that kind of makes sense about this movie is that the fact that it strays away from the book is what makes it uh, really good because like, again, book and film are two different mediums and they chose to accentuate for the film, the spectacle, the thrill ride. Like it's, it's like a big, it's, it's just a very tense kind of ride from start to finish. If you remember like that whole, like basically third act, it like wraps up very quickly, right? That last mm-hmm. action scene, so many things happen. You think about like the, um, you know, the kids hiding from, the velociraptors in the kitchen and then they're hanging on the dinosaur bones and all that stuff. All those things happen within like the span of like 10 minutes. Right. Yeah. And, that, and then the movie's over the credits roll. Like it, it all focuses on adrenaline and the book wasn't like that. It was a little bit more, uh, more pondering, you know, and, and, you know, more philosophical in nature. And, you know, the movie had a lot of that up front, but like it really just kind of focused on what movies do best, you know, especially a movie like this. So I think like the fact that it was able to, and, and David Kevin, along with, I know he worked very closely with, with Spielberg and some other writers, like they wisely chose to like, just, just like, hey, let's just give them a thrill ride. Let's kind of make use of this new technology and, you know, just take the, the parts of the book that like most speak to those like emotions, you know? Uh, and I think that's what makes it work. Yeah. Also, I thought the book was interesting. The book was definitely more adult oriented than the movie. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. Which I always yeah. find is an interesting thing with that balance. If you're a tentpole movie, you, I mean, back then was a PG 13, right? I guess you would say even today, right? I mean, you still mm-hmm. need it. Oh, um, yeah. Kep also wrote mission impossible, by the way. <laughs> yes. Hmm. Yeah. Um, oh, so I, I do. I'm going to watch it again. Now, Jim, Katie, make Jim watch it again. <laughs> I'll watch it again. I don't hate the movie. I just, I don't, I didn't love it as much as I did when I was younger. Um, I think but none n- for none of the reasons that Jimmy mentioned, those are all the things that I liked about the movie. I actually thought um, one of your big issues and Jim, I thought was right when we talked about it at the time is I don't necessarily know if the characters were developed enough, but I don't know if it was necessary. They're developed in like, weird ways, but yeah, yeah, I thought that, well, there's more to the it hatred the of book. the kids for what's his name is really ham fisted and weird. Mm. That doesn't <laughs> and it's just, it's s- just, just trying to give some relevance to the fact that he saves them in the end, which. But that yeah. also ties into Spielberg's weird dad issues that he has and all. And a lot of fun. that stuff with the kids came up like they weren't in the script. It like came up on set. Like, you know, there's like yeah. uh, a few shots. There's no lines of dialogue, but there's moments where like it seems like um, the. Uh, the, the younger girl Lex like has kind of a crush on Alan Grant, you know, yes. and like wants to keep holding his hand and stuff. That stuff was never in the script. Spielberg was like, let's, let's try to add a little bit of dimension to the character, like a little bit of an irony where like he hates kids, but she's kind of drawn to him, like kind of thing. And but like, I feel like that, you know. that's the, like, that's the worst way to do character, right? Where it's just like, <laughs> yeah. uh, let's just like try yeah, to add it. a little something here. Yeah. Well, it depends on what you're focusing on. I agree with you, Katie, but I, but like you, you, they're also making decisions about what kind of movie it is. Right. Yeah. So like if it's a character, focused drama and the book had a lot more character stuff but it was less focused on spectacle you know it would be like a totally but different kind of movie, I argue you know? that like he did spectacle and character in E.T. so like to me Jurassic Park represents to me the turning point for Spielberg where he wrote like where he took some movies seriously for character and others he just wanted spectacle and since mm-hmm. then he hasn't combined either like he did prior to that I yeah, so like when point. you think about Jaws and you think about E.T., they combine crazy amounts of character and spectacle with I, I what have, was possible at the time. I've always wondered, too, with Jurassic Park that it, as we talked about when we did the episode, Schindler's List came right after that. In fact, he didn't even do George Lucas did some of the special effects stuff for him because he was doing Schindler's List. If mm. if some of his attention was shifted there and i think jimmy's right it was it was the movie was more of a thrill ride and the book was more techie (laughs) philosophical which is interesting i think that could be great take you know at its heart the 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 heart of both of them were the same but they're different vehicles that you can enjoy but jimmy's right the the effects are still 100 percent so good (laughs) yeah He, I think he does some really cool stuff in that. Um, Yo, go ahead, Jimmy. And I was just gonna say one last thing. I think think if they did like a straight up adaptation of the book, it would have been a much lesser movie, you know. Um, And that's, I think that's where we get kind of like, well, is it better to uh, to be faithful to the source material, or is it better to kind of like know, you know, what a movie's supposed to do? 
and kind of like take those, you know, good screenwriters kind of like know how to do that and kind of go off. It's kind of like when JK Rowling, like she, you know, she's not a screenwriter. She's not, you know, they, they've deferred to like Steve Clovis and stuff to write the, the original scripts because it's like, it takes a different kind of like sensibility and different kind of thought process to, yep. to like make a good movie, you know? Uh, before we move to somebody else, Jimmy, uh, for those that cannot see you, you have a cast of characters <laughs> behind you. Uh, yes. Can you just tell us? Because I have no idea who they are. Who, who are these people? Uh, well, they're all characters from, you can see, of course, we talked about Sean Connery back there. Uh, I don't think there's any other famous actors here. Well, uh, come on, Shane West. Oh, Shane West. That's right. I should have, I should have known. These are all characters from, uh, the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, uh, notable for being Sean Connery's last movie ever. And, uh, mm. a movie that actually, I think Brian and I, we pretty much bonded over movies for the first time talking about this, I think, because, um, we were at somebody's like basement party many years ago uh brian and i we were playing against each other in beer pong and somehow this the topic of this movie came up and how bad it is it's like famous for being atrocious and i think he he initiated the bet brian you, you initiated the bet that like whoever loses this has to watch league of extraordinary <laughs> gentlemen two or three times in a row i forget the specifics but it was multiple viewings of this movie and it was more horrifying than any other punishment than i could possibly oh, that's have right. so. sounds about right so, which is an adaptation a from a comic book Yes, it is. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's it was. Mm -hmm. Not a not a good. So one. they're all they're all famous <laughs> literary fight, characters. Yeah, so oh, Captain no Alan Quatermain. Yep, yeah. Captain Nemo. There's the Invisible Man, and then there's just like this random guy in blue who I don't even know if he's anybody. <laughs> no, that's Captain Nemo, I think. Oh, is that Nemo? Yeah, okay. and then okay. next Dorian, name is Dorian Gray. Yeah, yes, and uh, Doctor Jekyll. Jekyll. There's Mina Harker. Uh, oh I yeah, Mina Harker. Have, I, uh, I guess they didn't want to have Dracula in there, so they just brought Mina in. Yeah, I don't think they could. I think. I think there was a lawsuit well he's that. not i don't know that okay. he's in the comic book i think it's yeah needed. no but i don't think he's in the comic book for that reason um all right well i love it i haven't i can't that's another one maybe i'll dig up league of extraordinary general oh yes there it is <laughs> see if i can find that one uh katie what did you have what is your recommendation so i think the top of my list would be a, a movie that i've already talked about in depth and so i'm going to pass on the hours for today Perfect. because i've okay. already covered it a lot. Oh, okay. And um, recommended it before. It is yeah. an excellent adaptation of, mm. of, of a brilliant novel. Um, which is also an adaptation of another which, novel. Yes, of it is. Some, an adaptation It's not of really an adaptation. adaptation. No, it's, a, it's an allusion inspired by Virginia Woolf. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or it uses yeah. source material from Virginia Woolf. So many um, layers. Yeah, yeah, it has a lot of layers. Um, but the movie that really stuck with me when I saw it in the theater after reading the novel and kind of being blown away at how they were able to bring it to film to screen was atonement um, by Ian McEwan. And oh, yeah. I just remember that. So, you know, we've talked before about the, the struggle of bringing novel to screen in all of the like inner workings of, of the characters minds and, you know, and whether you're looking at stage or film that presents a challenge to, you know, to the screenwriter, to the director, um, and to the fault of some movies, sometimes it goes horribly wrong. <laughs> um, I was amazed at how the screenwriter and director of Atonement brought this. It's a really, it's a very nuanced story. I mean, it's all based on, you know, a child's perception of an event. And so the whole story hinges on one character's perceived notions of something that happened which you know just when you think about that like that's very hard to put across on the screen and i just i thought they did an incredible job of it and talking about it tonight makes me realize like i, I need to go back and watch it because i remember leaving the theater just feeling like amazed at yeah. what they were able to accomplish with that movie I mean, Saoirse Ronan alone, like, she's 90% of that movie. Now, like, Jimmy, I was going to say, I don't even remember who the actors and yep. actresses are <laughs> in it. Like, I, I, I remember being so struck by the film, but, like, I couldn't tell you who the people were. Um, I love her now. Had no idea that that. I mean, she had to be. So she was the girl. She was the yeah, younger. That's, that's when she was discovered. Yeah. Wow. I mean, that was like nope. her first. Jimmy didn't know. Movie. Didn't know it. Old. See, yeah. I was impressed Cute. by her back then. Didn't even know her name. <laughs> Didn't know her. Kira Knightley and uh, oh, that's right. James James McAvoy. McAvoy. Yes, yes, yes. Yes. Uh, Mr. Tumnus. Yeah. 
Uh, yeah, it's a great movie. I we, I would love for us to watch that film for uh, com majors. All right, all right, perfect. That's it. Uh, Jim, what do you have? So I'm going to talk about one of my favorite authors and how um, most of his adaptations are absolutely god awful, and that's Stephen King. Um, for the most part. Even even the ones that are that are really good, like The Shining, is an incredible movie. It's barely an adaptation of the book. Um, and to Jimmy's point, it's probably for the better. You know, you couldn't do The Shining book, which is I forget how many pages in the time period that you know in in the time frame that the movie covers. Um, but I'm going to talk about some of the smaller smaller films that are really really well at it. Um, really well adapted, which are two for me are stand by me, which is a short story novella of his called the body and, um, Shawshank redemption, which is a Rita Hayworth and the Shawshank redemption, another novella of his. Um, and I think both of them capture the Stephen King, like tone of those stories perfectly. It's also funny that both of those, have nothing to do with um, fantastical or, or you know, science fiction or anything like that. They're very, or horror, they're very much um, character pieces. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like them both. I know that some people hate uh, the fact that Shawshank has been kind of so popular and, and but I... Why do they, why do you think people hate that? I just don't think, I, I think folks don't think it deserves the credit that um, a lot of folks seem to give it, which I can I can understand. I don't think it's one of the greatest movies of all time, but people think that it's one of the greatest movies of all time. <laughs> like I, that that is not an yeah, understatement. No, I think that's absolutely that, true. Yes, yeah. it's, it's always ranked. It is interesting how that movie has really taken off. I mean, it didn't even. I don't even think it was nominated for Best Picture, was it? it was, I don't I mean, remember. It it was, I, I mean, it didn't remember. get a lot of critical, yeah, you know, acclaim. You know, it's really funny. The um, young people, in particular. Like every year at the end of the year for my AP history class, we do like greatest American things and people pick topics. So they pick whatever topic they want. So inevitably, every year, kids will pick uh, greatest American movies of all time. And they do it kind of like top 64 and they play it off like a Mm -hmm. thing. And Shawshank always finishes in the top four. And they're always like, well, sure, sure. it's one of the great American <laughs> movies. And I'll be like, well, what about Jaws? What about the haven't heard of Jaws? They haven't heard of all these movies, but Shawshank. <clears throat> and I, I don't you, I don't know where that started. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't even on, honestly. And truth be told, as much as I love movies, I don't even remember it being uh, a big deal when it came out. I no. remember probably seeing it on video. Yeah. I don't mm-hmm. remember it being in the theater. I but don't remember. This the is buzz the movie it. that made that made Morgan Freeman like the voice of conscience. Yeah. Like, you know how, like now you think like of Morgan Freeman's voiceover yeah. work and you're like, Oh yeah, he's always going to be God. Because his God. Voice, right. yeah, his voice he does the voiceover throughout. work. Yeah. 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 Um, I, um, do you think those two Stephen King ones work better because they're novellas? Yes. Uh, yeah, one hundred percent. Is is that why though? Is, is the big problem? And this is what I've always I've always been an advocate of this, and I said this for a long time. And I even know some authors whose books have been adapted to things. And I said they're like, oh, the movie process and they're writing and it, it's not my book anymore. I'm not sure long form novels adapt perfectly to the big screen i think what you're seeing with like netflix and hbo and stuff like the outsider are 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 those you know those limited series are those better outlets for real adaptations of novels and then if you want your novel to be on the big screen it's better like jimmy said you have to take like the essence of it you have to figure out what piece of it is or is it just depend on the book it depends on the book and i think it depends on the studio and it depends on the director and the writer like there are so, like, you know, I think people forget that because of how awful The Hobbit was, what <laughs> Peter Jackson accomplished with Lord of the Rings. Um, and that they, he left a lot out of those books. And he also kept a lot. But, 
you know, if you have a studio that's willing to make that investment and do what they did, you know, three movies over the film, three movies at one time, release them over the course of what, three years and, and give them, you know, nine hours to tell that story. Yeah. That, and you have the right people involved. It can work. Right. But that's, that's going to be the minority of your, of your cases. Right. So, I mean, looking at the ones that have been successful, right, there has to be, for but the no, most but part, no one, no one else has tried that. editing. No, no one else has done that. Well, I mean, one, you could look at the well, Harry Potter franchise. Yeah, but similarly Lord of the Rings like, established. Yeah, yeah, right. I think but that was successful. Yeah. So we've named two and both of them worked. Yeah. And both but, of them made a shit ton of money. But And both of them... So Lord of the Rings is an interesting product in that it, it is... It's multiple texts still. You see it broken down in a few no. different ways, but it's still... That's three, considered one book. It's one, considered one book. book. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, we have a set that breaks it into like smaller pieces six books yeah and that's it but um yeah. yeah but i was thinking of you know something like to kill a mockingbird which many people would say is, is still one of the best film ad- adaptations you know whole chunks of that novel are cut out of the film mm-hmm. and i and it and it works right but yeah. they had to make a decision mm-hmm. over you know like which characters can be yep. removed which characters can be blended mm-hmm. and people who are purists to the to novels right struggle with film adaptations because to me that's a that's just a reality of when you take a novel for the most part and bring it to the film like something's gonna be on the yeah. on the cutting room floor it just has I mean, the to average, be yeah the average novel is like what like eighty thousand words the average screenplay is like seven thousand words eight thousand words i mean right there it's like you're you're working with ten percent of the space right yeah. so the realities of it is like you have to make cuts yeah. you know and yeah katie what you're saying is is very true i think like people would receive some adaptations a little bit better if they if they recognize that that like right. okay these writers have a tough time they have to like extricate only the the the, the core yeah. of like these these stories you know yeah, yeah well, you know i feel like kids are always amazed when we do plays in school because they're so sh- they're short right like when you hand them a play they're like wait this is only like 99 pages this is only like 100 pages and then when you start talking about like yeah so think about what this means in like in performance someone right? sitting in a chair that's, watching it yeah. yeah that's almost two hours of a performance yeah. um and so then when you translate that to to the screen right similarly mm-hmm. you you can't have a 400 page novel that's going to play out over the course of an hour and yeah half. so the, but the last one that i saw that was sort of in this vein was it right and it was i think it was by money standards a success for me, the first part was a was one of the better uh, adaptations, Stephen King adaptations that dealt with horror and and kind of um, stuck to the book where it needed to be and drifted where it needed to be, and it was really really well done. The second part was was not great, but um, you know they they that's a almost a thousand page book that mm-hmm. they did over the course of it's close to six hours, I think. Yeah. So, and not not wildly successful as an adaptation. Like, and and I mm. and and I like some of the changes they made. I like a lot of the changes that they made. And then there were some that were just like, why? Why would you? Why would you try to leave that piece in and 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 mess it up? Or, or you know, it was mm. just weird choices. Mm-hmm. But like, yeah, it's. It, I think it's a crapshoot, specifically with Stephen King. It's like and the kind of fervor that his fan base has for that kind of stuff. Um, you know, the shining we talked about earlier on, but right. It is from a movie standpoint, it is easier to take a story that people don't really know, right? Like a book that was not a commercial success Mm -hmm. and use that as source material than to take a beloved novel, right? Like that's just, Mm -hmm. that is, you're, yeah, isn't that you're, ultimately, you're gonna make somebody angry? <laughs> yeah, well, that's ultimately <laughs> right? the problem too. Right. When you think about it, right? The investment in a novel is like the investment, the time investment in a Stephen King novel is what? Like, even if you were gonna go the route of an audio book, you know what's that? You know, Tom, I'm doing Tom Clancy audio book right now. It was thirty hours. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's. 
a huge investment of your life, a -hmm. chunk of your time to then distill that down to two hours and you go see it in the theater. So readers have more of like an ownership of it because it's like, I'm I've been so committed. I've been throwing myself headlong into this thing. So they're more possessive. And I I guess you, Jimmy, you and Katie teach literature more. So you might be able to say it, but I've always been a very visual person. So as I read, I'm, and I like movies. So I'm seeing, I almost think of it as a movie. Like yeah. I'm seeing mm-hmm. like, what would this be like? What is this uh, office going to look like as this character is talking? I see it. I, I realize not everybody play. It reads that way. Yeah. But to then go see it, m- the film medium is really the director and screenwriter and editors vision of that work. Right. And when it's different, I think that's jarring for people, especially if you get somebody like Jim, who is in is invested in Stephen King or, you know, if it's your favorite mm-hmm. author. And I always find that interesting that many times people's who are beloved of a certain author are not the huge fans of the movies and a casual non-fan of the novel will say hey this is a great movie and then yeah. the person who loves the book will be like what the hell are mm-hmm. you talking about How? Yeah. that's not this well and i always wonder too you know I, I i always wonder about the emotional investment of the movie creators in terms of the author's source material um yeah so one that i saw this past year that i thought was brilliant was little women and mm-hmm. to me like i watched little women and I knew from the get-go that Greta Gerwig loved that story, yep. <laughs> loved those characters. Like it was such an, uh, it was an, she was honoring, <laughs> right? The source material. Like you just knew like the characters were so true to how they were written. And, and she did take creative license, right? She, she did, she added stories, she right? Like it, she yeah. changed yeah. a lot, but it all felt so true to this, to the character. Mm-hmm that that was created right like it, it was it was beautifully done and so sure yeah yeah a future com majors episode by the yeah. way coming up in the month of june yes mm. i believe she said like in an interview that she remember it was one of her favorite books growing up i don't know katie yeah. if you've like read yep. like conversations with her but she's like i she's like i just went on like my memory of like what stood out to me and i started there like i didn't go back and reread it yeah. yet i just started writing it with like my memory of like really the core of it like what yep. spoke to me and then you know she went back afterward and i think well, yeah yeah and i but i've always felt this way about adaptations which is If you want what was in the book, then go reread the book Mm -hmm. because it's never going to. First of all, you're never going to get a great director or I think a screenwriter, unless they're doing a money grab or a director, they're doing a money grab. Who's going to want to go on a project and just pull out the book and be like, "Okay, um, you stand over here now and read this line. Because there's what is there creatively? Yeah for them to do that unless it's like a money thing. So there has to be something unique to yeah. that experience. Well, you that's, know, my, that's not necessarily true. I mean, I, you're, you're, you're I, totally ignoring the fact that they're they're to Jimmy's first point when we started that you're putting spectacle to something that didn't exist before. No, but I'm saying they're going to have to make creative choices about the material or somebody isn't going to want to do it. I'm not saying that I'm just saying it's impossible to like put up a page of the book and say this whole movie page to page is going to be what this is. There's going to have to be choices made. Well, even if if you read what I'm saying, Brian, is even if you did that, you'd still have to make creative choices because you have to put visual to stuff that doesn't exist in the book. I guess there's no real way to just take a page of text and film it. Like if you you give it to five different directors, you give them the same page, they're going to say that they're faithful adaptations. They're all going to look, they're going to look five different ways because like they're always, everybody's going to like put their own spin on it, right? It's kind of like, you know, everybody has their own angle that they take on even what they're seeing on the page. But I I do think that people are, are for the most part, like willing to accept adaptations as like mm-hmm. changes i don't think yeah you know you have idiots that freak out when well that no but that's what we were saying while you were out for saying that it, sometimes it's interesting that the most hardcore fans of a novelist 
are the ones who have the biggest objections. I always think yeah. about the like one of the Harry Potter movies. I can't remember oh, yeah. if it's the fourth one. They're like, oh, well, there wasn't the whole thing about the elf house elf union. And <laughs> the, the book's like 25 hours long. Yeah. yeah. You know, no, you're like, right. what do you what do you do with that? You have but, to you have to be. I, and I think most people who direct adaptations, by the way, I should add, are usually lovers of those source materials. Mm-hmm. So they yeah. it so they are trying to bring as much of that, yeah. you know, what inspired them about that material like katie was saying with greta gerwig it's like what it was important to me about it and this is but it's going to be their take on it and i think sometimes that's hard for people who've invested 30 hours of their life in something because it's it's not going to be what you saw maybe and can you take something from that yeah i i think like you know speaking to that point brian it's like you know readers when, when they're going to watch a movie, you know, a lot of them will complain because it's like not what they pictured in their minds. But also, like, I think they, there is kind of like a respect uh, that, that that transcends like, oh, I hated this movie. I mean, look what went on with like the Twilight series, right? Like the Twilight series, was they, the movies were dreadful, right? But like people still went out to those movies. Those movies all made so much money. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of like hate on those movies, but like people still watch it. Cause it's like, Oh, you know what? It's not what I picture, whatever. It's still like, Hey, it's my book brought to life. So mm-hmm. there's something that I appreciate. Yeah, I, about I think, that. I, not, I think saying like, it's not what I pictured in my head is such like a, oh, it's, image, a cop out. it's such yeah. an immature way to look at like, yeah. That person is clearly not looking at film as an artwork. Well, I think, well, and what people are really looking for is for it to make them feel the same way, mm. right? Like, it's more than just, That's like, a good point. It's not necessarily the look of it. It's like, does do I feel the same way about that character? Mm-hmm. This is why I lost my mind over To Kill a Mockingbird on Broadway. Oh, God. <laughs> no, not that again. Aaron Sorkin. Very, just quick, just quickly touching on this. <laughs> You know, like if Brian, as you were saying, like not many novels give you the ability to just kind of like take the dialogue and just just put it right in there. Just just put it. That book kind of does. Right. Yeah. Um, And so when you have somebody that says like, no, I can probably rewrite this. I can I can probably rewrite this dialogue. I can rewrite this. Um, Well, now you're really messing with character and motivation and all of those things that combine to make the the character who they are right and and that's really what an audience is looking for is like does that character mm. make me feel the same way that that mm. i felt when i was reading the book um you know they can have different clothes and different color hair and like what what they can look different but do i do I connect with them? And, the and for that book, Atticus, that's that's why people read that book, yeah. right? Exactly. Well, yeah. Right. If you start screwing around with the major right. character, right. that's where people, you know, begin to have real problems. Mm-hmm. Um, so my choice, well, I've given lots of recommendations of books to movies. So I wanted to kind of be like Katie. I didn't want to retread. You know, we've talked about John Grisham's The Firm, which is very different and needed to be, which mm-hmm. I think's turned into a good one. Um you know, a great one somebody brought up today on Twitter I saw and I had forgotten about was John Grisham's A Time to Kill with Matthew oh, that's McConaughey. A that's a great talking about, you know, Atticus mm-hmm. and where the inspiration, you know, mm-hmm. he'll tell you that whole book was inspired by that. Mm-hmm. And there are big changes in that book to that movie, and they do a great job with that. Uh, I picked a Tom Clancy one that we're going to do later in the year, which is Hunt oh. for Red October. Mm. Yes, 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 which, yes. Which, here's the great thing. Another here's an Connie. example. And I think Tom Clancy falls at times into a similar situation with Stephen King in terms of these are guys who would deliver books that are 800 pages long. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing about Clancy, which I always found that they did a pretty good job on. I think Hunt for Red October is the best of them. Uh, and it's Alec Baldwin is, is um, Jack Ryan and the mm-hmm. Harrison Ford ones are pretty good as well, but you can slash a lot out of a time Clancy novel. If you're not interested in the techno stuff, there's a lot the, of like and the the strategic warfare. Like, yeah. There's a yes. lot of which I like listening to, and I find that is a read that's an interesting thing. In a movie, it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Hunt for Red October. I love the book and I love the movie, and that's why I picked it. It distills down 
the core feel like Katie was talking about of what you loved about that novel and they deliver it in a much more fast paced way. Our side characters cut out. Absolutely. You know, there's a whole <laughs> ton of stuff that is cut out of it, but you know, that has to be cut out of it. And what you get is at the core, Jack Ryan, this story, Sean Connery in a good movie, unlike League of Extraordinary <laughs> Gentlemen, and it just delivers. Mm-hmm. And it's one of those ones where I, I, it just stays with you. It was made yeah. all the it's the 30, 30th anniversary this year of it. It's just John McTiernan who did Die Hard mm-hmm. and Predator. He just delivers an amazing film. And it's not 100 percent accurate to that book. But if you talk to people who love Tom Clancy and stuff, they'll still hold that movie in really high esteem Mm -hmm. because I think they realize like, listen, nobody's going to watch Hunt for Red October, the book. So the the writing of that, the casting of it, I thought Alec Baldwin, you know, this is when he was like really young Alec Baldwin, you see him. He was amazing in the role. It's just a still stands up as a great movie. And the book, by the way, still stands up yeah. as a great movie and a great book. I would say like both of those, like both that and Jurassic Park are great for the same reasons. Like you're describing, it's like, it's because Hunt for October is all about efficiency, right? Intention. Yeah. Like you said, they trim the fat and it's like, let's just keep this moving. Right. And it's amazing because of that. Right. Like, you know, there's like that, that scene where Jack Ryan is like, He's just like shaving and he just comes to a realization. It's like, you know, from a plot perspective, it's like, oh, it's just in a single moment, he realizes the full plot when he's shaving. Uh, You know, the book takes more time with that. But the movie is like, you know, we're a movie. We can just have him shave. He just has a flash of inspiration. Boom, move on, you know, and it just it has a lot of energy because of that, you know. It's I, I just think it's great. Another one um, which I've recommended here before and somebody commented on Facebook, which I love. And it's an example of the fan base hating the movie and people who love the movie who didn't read the books was Jack Reacher with Tom mm. Cruise. That's a great 70s esque thriller. Um, but people who wrote the read the books hated it because the character is like supposed to be the six, four, six, five guy. And Tom Cruise was it. Well, they well, we can't see this, even though it was a pretty faithful adaptation. Mm-hmm. It like at the core, the characters exactly. Well, no, he, he doesn't look exactly like I saw in, in my mind. So I'm going to ignore all this. And they badmouthed it. And then they did. I remember at the time it came out and people who read the book didn't like it. And people who never read the book loved it. Mm-hmm. And it's it's weird with that. Sometimes just the casting. I mean, we could don't even need to go down the rabbit hole of the Da Vinci Code and Tom Hanks's hair in that movie um, and Ron Howard and what they did there. But that was another one. Right. I can't miss can't miss book. Right. Hundred million copies, everything. It should be perfect to translation into a film. And it really didn't. They still made two movies, three. Well, they did. And it still made good. It still made good money. But I I think Mm -hmm. most people would tell you that there's in probably in the reading experience was better than the movie going experience. And that's actually a good example of like when they were trying to be a little too faithful to the book up until the end. Oh, it's absolutely. Like the, the movie, the movie Da Vinci Code. I mean, Ron Howard's a pretty, uh, he's a pretty talented guy. He knows oh, how to make a yeah. good movie. That movie is like so lumbering and it's slow and it's like why right why, why it should this should be like a thriller it like should be national thriller yeah. <laughs> which is a superior movie yes yeah. uh and it's because like yeah they just tried to be too faithful where you know they just you know trim the fat they they didn't do what you know what, what we have October a did. huge one coming up this year which i'm super excited to see which is dune oh man yes um yeah yeah so it'll be interesting because I don't I, I think the David Lynch version is uh, really along uh, yeah along the lines of like <laughs> I won't say it's like The Shining because it's not close to as good as The Shining but it but it cuts out so much and yeah. doesn't leave a lot to be desired um, and then there was a weird TV mini series that was pretty faithful to the book but had nobody in it and was not well done. Um, and this is Dennis, uh, what's his name? Brian? Denis Villeneuve. Yeah, yeah he's, um, 
Awesome. He's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Is there ever um, been an adaptation that you watched of something you really liked as a book and were just like, this, this just isn't good. And it's not nitpicky, but it just, it fell short of, of what you had hoped for. I mean, I, just speaking, this is the teacher side of me coming out. You know, I teach Romeo and Juliet every year. Um, Baz Luhrmann's famous, you know, no adaptation. I can't stand it because. Oh, you know, I love it, Jimmy. <laughs> oh, okay. It, the way the characters butcher Shakespeare's language, they scream everything and everything is at like a, like a level 20, you know? Um, it's it, like you, all of the poetry is lost. I mean, yeah, you can get the plot, but like you don't get any of like the charm of Shakespeare, but that's, again, this could be like my closest to the material where I, you know, I, I look at Shakespeare as like, it's not really about the plot because they're not really that original. It's more about the characters and the language and the style to me. That, that adaptation totally misses the mark. Sorry, Katie. <laughs> that's quite all right. No, I, I've had this, I've had this same conversation with many people. I, I am familiar with the controversy over that film. Was it Pete Postlethwaite as the friar? He's good. Well, do you think him. that do you think sometimes and maybe Shakespeare's the one because it's it's done so many ways sometimes it's too stylized well i like so, there's I mean, too that's, much of wanting that's, to put a stamp on their that's own what stamp that film on is, something right it's like that yeah. it's given the Baz Luhrmann treatment um yeah. which i enjoy but i can absolutely understand <laughs> not not enjoying that yeah well katie can i ask what did you think of the great gatsby his great Gatsby adaptation. I liked it a lot. Yeah. So uh -huh. I mean, you know, I. So you like him as a filmmaker, I do. really? So and the source material. So his take on the source material is something that's going to be interesting to you. So I really enjoy when somebody is able to take an older text and make it relevant for a new generation, um, and and I think he does that. I think that he takes texts that you know maybe folks would only study in school um and he creates new interest in them and and makes yeah makes it into a completely different piece of art right like takes the story and the characters and i i i like the vision that he has i enjoy him yeah well i, I mean that's me you know my favorite director is kubrick and everything he did pretty much was an unfaithful adaptation of a novel, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I think there's a stylized element to that. Jimmy, as a screenwriter, why do you think it seems that everything is adaptations? Now, why are we getting less original material? Is it just, is well, that, that's, that comes down to numbers, honestly, money. Uh, I mean, every, you know, the studios know that like, you know, having a known property will sell automatic tickets, you know? So I think a lot of that is part of it. Um, I think another part of it too, though, is like, you know, William Goldman, right? He, he did the, he wrote the princess bride and a lot of, a lot of films. One of the, uh, one of the most prolific like screenwriters ever. Um, he, he wrote this book. It was kind of like a memoir about like his experiences writing a bunch of films and the book was great. But one thing always stood out to me when I read it that, that he said, he said, right. Most of what he did was, was adaptations of other things. And he's like, as great of a screenwriter as he was, he says, adaptations are so much easier to write than original work. And mm. he even says straight up something along the lines of like, I can't imagine trying to write an original screenplay because it's so hard you know adaptations are a lot easier you've got the story laid out for you and you kind of pick and choose and do all those things we've been talking about mm -hmm. here where it's like well, how do i capture the essence the core of the story is here how do i capture that you know yeah. so i think a lot of it is that that yeah like you know this story is good now let's just kind of like translate that on the screen mm -hmm. you know awesome all right uh so we have lots of great recommendations some reminders uh jimmy picked jurassic park katie had atonement Jim had uh, two stand offerings, by me. Stand by me. But the other one was good, too. Yeah. Shawshank. Uh, Shawshank. And I picked Hunt for Red October. All um, movies that are out there or books. Do both. Do a comparison. Um, We've we got loved, the time. You got, got the, the time. time. <laughs> you got. Uh, by the way, I figured uh, out who the guy next to the Invisible Man in Jimmy's background is. <laughs> it is Tom Sawyer. 
Yes, Tom, Tom Sawyer, that great crime fighter. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> he was like the MacGyver of the group. He could get everybody in there. He had them all painting a fence within an hour. I guess right. I guess he is good at manipulation, right? Yeah, I mean, yeah. That would be his superpower. master manipulator. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jimmy, we should probably have you back on the show and watch League of Extraordinary. Oh, okay. No. This will be our, it'll be our six-hour episode where we watch no, no. it in a loop several yes, times over. Okay. All right. Yes. Okay. Uh, okay. Now, very special, since Jimmy's here, we're going to play a special round of five questions with Jimmy. Here we go. Five answers. questions. You want answers? Right. I want the truth. What makes a man, Mr. Lebowski? What the fuck is the internet? Watch. Why? All right, here we go. Five questions with Jimmy. Uh, first question it. is our thumbs up and or thumbs down question. Are you thumbs up or thumbs down on audiobooks? Uh, which is, in essence, like an adaptation in some respects to the novel. Oh, big thumbs up. Big thumbs up. I mean, sometimes that's like, you know, one of the only ways you can consume books anymore, especially, you know, and on the commute and driving. But uh, no, I think that's uh, I think it's a it's a great asset you know, to storytelling. I am an audiobook fan as well. I will not listen to the unabridged the abridged versions do you have a feeling on that do you need unabridged yeah i mean i guess you know it depends like is the author sanctioning the abridged version this or that i mean i think yeah as a purist i think as long as the you know the voiceover artist is reading the original text i think that's good sometimes i mean that can really enhance the material like Mm -hmm. you know a lot of and again this is the teacher side of me but i know a lot of like uh people learning to to read a lot of my ninth graders like they really benefit from that because it's like oh i get that this is supposed to be sarcastic you know or i understand how this is meant to be read now you know things like that Mm -hmm. um absolutely i think it's a great thing uh all right question two would you rather tying into something that we've been talking about throughout this episode, would you rather read the same book five times in a row or be forced to watch the same movie every day for five months? Every day for five months. Yeah. Oh man. Uh, I guess it depends on the movie, can, right? You, you, I mean, you can pick the book. The and the movie. Extraordinary gentleman. No, oh, okay. no, it's your choice. Would you rather <laughs> oh, have to man. read the same book five times in a row or watch the same movie every day for five months? I think I'd have to say book uh, five times in a row because there's so like my mind can like change the experience every time I read that. Mm-hmm. But the movie, it is what it is, you know. Mm-hmm. I think Unless I could it's watch... Baby Driver. I'll watch Baby yeah. Driver every day for five months. <laughs> Well, I think I could watch The Big Lebowski every day for five months in a row. I think I, I could do that. Uh, the Coen brothers do lend themselves to being rewatched yeah. a little bit. Listen, I could watch the same movie. There's many movies I could watch. What uh, would you pick? Jimmy, if, you had to watch it, if you had what to watch you one movie, what would it be? Oh, wow. For five mm. months. I mean, there's actually a lot of movies said that I've probably watched that many times uh, <laughs> when I was younger. I don't know. Uh, yeah, when you're a little but, kid, you could watch the same episode of Paul. But I could probably times a day. <laughs> I could probably watch like The Dark Knight over and over again. Oh, okay. I never, I never tire of that movie. That is a great movie. Uh, all right, here we go. Fill in the blank question: uh, If you could see a new movie tomorrow. Wake up in the morning, put on a brand new movie from any director who's ever lived in history. Who would it be? Is this a movie that has not been made? Like not like been made. You, it would be a new okay. movie. Like all of a sudden you woke up and they said, we have a new movie by this person. Okay. Any director ever. Who would you be the most excited for? So are you guys familiar with Curtis Hansen? Absolutely. Uh, LA Confidential. LA Confidential is, is one of my favorite movies. It could. Awesome. It's probably my number one of all time. Um, right, right. Very underrated. He he sadly passed away a few years ago, but uh, he could have kept going. He would have made some really awesome stuff, and I would I would be there on opening day if he made another movie. I love LA Confidential. Yeah, we should, uh, we should watch a, that a, one. a a adaptation, a book adaptation. Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. yeah. I, I read the book. I had now. that one on VHS, recorded off of the oh Royal Network. God. Russell <laughs> Crowe. Yep. In that, if you guys Crow. ever do that episode, invite well, me back on because yes, I could go will, on and on about that. All right, we will. We'll put it on the schedule then, and you'll be okay. back for it. All right. Um, all right. Here we go. Uh, favorite question: What's your favorite novel? Oh man. Um, I mean, I okay, so. 
I've, I've kind of gotten into like this, like magical realism kind of thing. And I think Katie, you know, like I'm really into like Haruki Murakami and uh, Kafka on the shore. I read maybe like, I don't know, 12 years ago, 13 years ago. And I still, I, I, I love it. I love it. It's like not a movie, you, or not a book you read for plot. Uh, you read it just to kind of drink it in just to experience, you know? Uh, and it's hard to kind of beat that stuff. I mean, there, there are books that I, um, cherish from my childhood that I could read again. Um, I really loved like, you know, action adventure kind of stuff. There's a, a book by uh, a writer, Tim Powers called on stranger ties, which I love. I read that when I was like in eighth grade and that that's sounds so familiar read. to me. It's one, it's incredible. Uh, it's like, a, it's just a, it's just a nice swashbuckling epic. Um, right. So yeah, that totally love it. Uh, and finally, our deep thoughts question, would you rather write the next great American novel or be the be a writer director of a film that is in the AFI top ten of all time. Ooh, uh, I mean, I think I have to say the I have to say director. I don't know. I'm 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 a, I'm a big movie guy. As much as I love literature and reading, I'm a big film guy. Just my my mind kind of goes there. I would love to be. I don't know in that in that realm. You also, know, one sets you up for life. One does not. Well, there's that as well. That yes. is, that is. <laughs> One would lead me to a lifetime of like isolation in like yeah. the woods of Maine, and the other would <laughs> allow me to live in Hollywood. So there you go. That's so true. <laughs> so true. So that is five questions. Uh, Jimmy, thank you. Jimmy, such oh, a pleasure. Yeah, thank thanks you for guys. doing this, guys. No, this is fun. Thank you for inviting me. And now we've <laughs> learned that uh, we will put LA Confidential on the schedule, and you'll Do have it. to come back. You don't have absolutely. To I'm uh, there. Remember to like, share, subscribe, review uh, all our episodes, and we will be back next time. Our next episode, we had to do a, a deep palate cleanse after Labyrinth. I watched like <laughs> five. I've watched five movies since Labyrinth, just trying to. <laughs> I watched some amazing shit. How by many the way. times a night do you wake up with? David Bowie's crotch in your uh, that cod piece that no, there's no disgusting. Cod piece. There's, uh, I, I, I don't I think there's any underwear. This. Actually, I I will say this. I don't know if I'll ever see another movie that has an erotic sequence with puppets, mm. a David Bowie and a fourteen year old and a farting you, you, swamp and a farting swamp. It's a unique I mean, it's, combination. Yeah, it I don't is. Think it's it is. Replicated. Uh, I yep. mean, I I watched Minority Report. Like I then cream immediately and watched. Mustard. Uh, oh, it was awful. But guys, uh, it gave us. It gave us Jennifer Connelly. I mean, it come did. on. It was. It did. It did. It did. <laughs> Which we gave back for like ten years it in the middle. It took her a while. Oh, it took She was not an instant hit. Her. We had the boob shots in the Rocketeer. Was her next big thing, and then she was in Requiem from a Dream, and people realized you could act yeah. Like, oh, yeah. yeah yeah and then we went from there uh but we will be venturing into the world of mission impossible next Ooh. week we're doing mission impossible ghost protocol uh i am not making uh katie or jim watch mission impossible 2 um because we don't need to go that route okay <laughs> thank so you we're gonna go uh, M- mission impossible ghost protocol um when we're back together again all right, all right. sounds well, good thanks, guys Hey, happy right, quarantining, guys. Jimmy Costanzo. Yes. Yeah, hang in there. Thank you. Yep. You too. Get yourself some more Cavassier. Oh, <laughs> I think I've had buy, a couple pours already. Yes, for sure. Buy, buy yourself a cheap bottle of Cavassier. <laughs> pop in the VHS of League of Extraordinary. <laughs> I'm telling you, stared at this image for the last hour. It's really I, I, calling I, to me. Yeah, you might, are. You I are going to go watch it now. <laughs> I, I might watch it. In I got to see if I can find it. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Bye. Bye. All right. Adios. <laughs>